Welcome to the You and I podcast, a series where we share firsthand the experience of patients with overactive bladder, commonly known as OAB. This podcast is a series kindly supported by Astellas, and we are grateful to them for their generosity. In the series, we'll speak to a number of patients and to a patient organisation about various aspects of living with OAB. We will uncover what it was like to be diagnosed with OAB, how OAB impacted patients during the COVID-19 pandemic, and much, much more. We're hoping that this series will be informative to patients and the public alike and raise awareness about a condition that is steadily affecting more and more people. My name is Professor Marcus Drake, and I'm delighted to be talking to these brave patients willing to discuss their condition so that others can better understand OAB. Now, management of overactive bladder involves all sorts of issues. It can be a combination of physical training, lifestyle adaptation, or indeed ways to make events from the condition a bit less severe. Each option that a urologist offers is going to be different based on the patient's profile, but the aim is going to be the same, to try to make overactive bladder events less intrusive. So in this episode, we're going to speak about how patients are first diagnosed with OAB, since this is key to shaping the positive behaviours early on. And we'll hear a bit how disease management can have a positive impact on life. And it's great pleasure to meet Barry Snow, and Barry, it would be very helpful, perhaps, if you could just introduce yourself a bit. Uh, I am I am 72 years old. I have worked in the in the live theatre industry all my life. Um, we were working at the State Theatre in Pretoria for many years, an opera house complex. Um, and I started uh, getting symptoms of the OAB probably 15 years ago or so. We. We were retired. We uh, were put on pension, in fact, in 2000, and I started my own business. But I did find that I started having problems, that I would suddenly have to get caught short. Um, in the strangest of circumstances, I'd be sitting having a drink with a pal, and I'd suddenly have to go shooting off somewhere and find a loo. And uh, that's how it started, many uh, good, as I say, about 15 years ago. Um, I went to my GP and uh, he suggested that I go to an, a urologist um, and uh, he gave me certain medication which worked to a degree. Well, just before we get onto the medications, Barry, I just wonder, let's think about the very start of this. So before you actually got a proper diagnosis of OAB, was there anything that you were doing to try and make it a bit less of a problem for your everyday life? Uh, yes, I, the first thing I do in any venue I went to, I try and find out where the toilets were so that I, I wasn't caught short because it got, it got to a point where um, I would go out and I think I better find out where the toilets are before I go and have a couple of drinks or whatever the case might be or dinner with friends so at least I'll know where to shoot off to if I am caught short and have to move in a hurry. So that was kind of uh, where it all started. So you were planning ahead, identifying where toilets were, but yes. did you continue to drink to the same extent or did you do any sort of... Um, I started cutting it down, but not completely. And I thought, oh, well, I can control it. If I know where the toilets are, I know where to run to, I'm okay. But, you know, um, I, I did find from time to time that um, 
that uh, I'd get caught short and not even expect it. It sort of came out of the blue. Um, at, at that time, I was not, I didn't cut down on it. I was drinking quite a lot. I was drinking a, my, my favorite drinks being white wine and whiskey, not together, but, um, and uh, I used to enjoy it. And uh, I'd enjoy having a couple of drinks with my mates um, and dinner with friends. And, uh, but then eventually I'd sort of, after a, after a while, I realized that my intake, if I cut my intake down, it should be uh, more manageable. And it was to a degree, but then you'd forget and then you'd get caught out again. So uh, I, I eventually went to my GP and that's how I got onto uh, urology, Re urologists, should I say rather. So what sort of thing, because that's your social life, what sort of thing would you do to adapt your lifestyle in other ways? Minimizing alcohol intake was probably the most important. Um, as I said, I used to drink a lot of whiskey and a fair amount of wine. And I cut out the whiskey completely about three years ago. I'm jumping ahead a bit. But then when I went to Dr. Uri, my son, funnily enough, said, Dad, you know that whiskey is a stimulant. And I said, yes, I know that. So I cut out any, any, any scotch intake, which, which also cut out the amount of liquid I was, I was uh, uh, taking on. Um, but I did stay uh, drinking wine socially and... Uh, then I eventually, eventually cut that out completely as well. So my alcohol, I cut my alcohol intake out completely about uh, two years ago. Around about the time I went in to have, a, have my uh, prostate operation with Dr. Ari, which was 2018. And what about coffee and things like that? That's often quite a bad factor for overactive bladder. I, I, do, drink a lot of, I do drink a fair amount of coffee. And I do find that um, if I do drink a lot of coffee, I do definitely get affected by it. But I think, you know, I'm not drinking any booze anymore. I might as well drink coffee. But <laughs> kind of, uh, it, um, it doesn't help. I, I do sign times now that I, I manage to get caught short occasionally. Not as much as before, though, I must be honest. So there's been a sort of partial reduction in some things, but other sort of treats and pleasurable things, you, you can continue without getting too great a level of anxiety? Marcus, yes, you can. Um, I find that I can, provided I just think about what I'm doing, you know, but, you know, very often you don't. You, you're chatting or you're doing something or you're working or whatever, and uh, you, get, you, you forget the situation and you wind up getting, get, get, as I say, getting caught. I've had that, as I said, a few times, and funnily enough, a few times fairly recently, which I think might be related to the fact that we are packing up our home and everything around us is changing, you know. Absolutely. Well, do you, do you ever sort of discuss this with your friends or do you sort of clam up, keep, try and keep it a secret from your friends? Um, I've got a couple of friends who I've discovered are in a similar situation and we've come sort of kind of compared notes occasionally. Said, how are you doing? What's, what are you doing for this? And what are you doing for that? And um, yeah, you know, Marcus, it's not a thing you can... I mean, if you, if you hide it, you're silly because... Um, my family know about it. Obviously, my wife and my son know about it. Um, and I would imagine by default is my son's, my daughter-in-law knows about it. Um, yeah, and, you know, it, 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 I find it silly to not talk about it because, you know, if, if you suddenly go screaming out of a room to find a loo somewhere, people think you're nuts and wonder what's going on. But at least if they know that you've got a problem, they're happy to just accept it and go with it, you know. So we tend to use this phrase support network for that. 
And, you know, it, it's pretty important, actually, that, you know, if you if you raise the topic with somebody, um, you know, you, you want to trust them enough that you'll get a positive reaction, that they'll be supportive. I mean, have you ever found it a, a problem or is it generally that people accept? No, I haven't found it a problem. Um Okay, I must. I must be honest. I don't discuss it with every every person I come across. Obviously, you know, but <clears throat> but I do. You know, I've got a couple of friends that I we've been friends since we were youngsters in the theatre days. So we kind of got to know each other pretty well, <clears throat> and yeah, we you know we we talk about how did you do with this and how did you find that instance and how did you manage to control this. So we do, that's kind of where we are. So um, a bit of familiarity and trust, and you're willing to open yes. up to them. Absolutely. And, you know, and they're you know, generally quite understanding, perhaps from their own insight. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sure. You know, it's it's it 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 it, um, it does make a difference um, if you understand and you know where you are and your friends know around you know what's going on, you know, and also puts you at ease. You're not trying to hide something. So basically, this all all started a little while ago and you started to adapt things a bit and your social life was affected a bit. But then you reduced the whiskey not so much the coffee, and, and you started to build a, a support network. But yes. things were still bad enough that you went off to see the doctor, I guess. Yes, which worked. But then, uh, obviously, things were getting, were getting, were, were getting worse. My, 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 my bladder control was getting worse. So that's when he put me onto a variation of medications, which I can't... I'm, I'm afraid I'm terrible, terrible with memory of medications, uh, but then he put, then he decided he better have a look at what's going on, because he, he wasn't happy with my bladder. He wasn't happy with the situation. Obviously, thinking about the possibility of of cancers or ma malignancies or whatever the case was. So that's why when in nineteen uh, in twenty eighteen, I went in for a an investigation for prostate and looked at my prostate and he looked at my bladder, and he 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 looked and see what was going on there. And that was that was 2018. And did that produce any useful information? Well, yes, it did. A couple of things. First of all, the one thing it did prove that I, that I, I, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have any malignancies in my bladder was the one thing. Then the other thing was that he found a whole lot of little black pebbles in my, in my prostate, which he removed. Um, and they were, they were, they were like gallstones, but they were little black ones. And he took something like 60 out and, and removed part of my prostate. Not all of it, but part of it. Um, and, uh, and that, yeah, that, and then, and that was it. So, so he did that. He was, and um, I, I was happy to know, obviously, that there was no malignancy involved in the whole thing. From the sound of it, Barry, there wasn't much suspicion that there was a malignancy present. No, I think, I think Dr. Ari wanted to just check. He wanted to know that there wasn't a possibility. But it's interesting as well that he found some pebbles in your prostate. I mean, the prostate is a gland which makes all sorts of um, liquids that can actually get stuck in, in the actual gland. And if they get stuck, that's where the pebbles can slowly accumulate over over many years. And so, you know, he found that had been going on for a while. But I'd be really interested to know, in after that, when he removed 60 pebbles from your prostate, did that help your OAB? Yes, it did. It did improve it. I still take medication, um, particularly at night, because I've, a couple of times at night I was caught short, even after, after we'd had the surgery. 
um, and he, he told me to take uh, two two medications of which which I have to find. I'm sorry, I, I can't remember all these things. I'm just my brain goes fried sometimes. But I mean, did, have you did you find things were a slow, very gradual build up of symptom severity, or was it? A, well, how did it actually progress? It was it was a slow build up over time. Um, because you're almost almost unaware of it, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but then you suddenly realise you're needing the loo more and more, and you're more in danger of getting caught uh, caught out. Um, so it it did it it was a slow progression. But um, then once I'd had the once I'd had this, the, the 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 consultations and surgeries with Dr. Ari, it, it seemed to be better controlled. It was better controlled. But um, as I say, a couple of times I'll be sitting, like now, for instance, and uh, I'll move and I'll suddenly think, not, not feeling the urge to, need to go to the loo now while I'm sitting talking, but then I get up and move and suddenly, all of a sudden, it suddenly hits me, I better find a toilet pretty quickly. And that, uh, that's happened a few times. And a couple of times recently, because it's been bitterly cold here, so, you know, one tends to drink a lot more coffee and tea and stuff like that in the cold weather. And so I've been caught, not caught short to the, to the degree that it's actually, I'm wetting myself completely, but I've had a couple of accidents um, that have come out the blue. Literally, I've suddenly stood up and suddenly, I think the change in position or the change in the way I was sitting or standing, and suddenly, you know, you suddenly feel, my God, I better go before, I'm, before I have a problem, you know. So as a, as, a, as a bloke, you could potentially have a bottle with you if you're feeling really struggling to get to the toilet? I, have, you, have you ever been I, tempted by that? I've never, I've never been tempted by that yet, thank God. Uh, but it might happen, who knows? I don't know, I don't think so. Alternatively, do you ever sort of feel the need to have something to sort of protect your clothing from, a, from an accident? Yes, I have. I did, while we, I did immediately after we had, I had the surgery... I did take um, liners, uh, the absorbent liners, which I wore. I, I took with me overseas, and I wore quite often, because obviously overseas, when you were travelling, you were you were in an unknown territory a lot of the time. And um, but I don't use them now because I just I sometimes think maybe I should take one just on the in case. If we go away anywhere, I take some with me just as a backup. But I don't use them regularly at all. I did one. I did immediately after the surgery, and when we went overseas, I did wear them and take them as a as a as a as a safety measure. So um, the situation after the operation is a little bit different, isn't it? Because if you do have an operation, that involves a little bit of scraping of the inside of the prostate, so it makes the prostate really very irritable, and that combined with a bladder that's already a bit overactive will really worsen the overactivity quite a lot just during the post-operative recovery phase. So it's it's not that surprising to hear you describe the need for these pads during the operative recovery. So that how long was that the case for and did it fully recover once you'd healed from the operation? Um, Marcus, yes, it did eventually. I mean, as I said, you know, I think our overseas trip was too soon after the operation, as I told you. Um, and while we were overseas, I did use them a lot just as a backup and safety because most of the time I even then was able to find out where the loos were. But I did 
take them with me, and I did wear them. Particularly, we went on a bus tour of Italy, so obviously we were we were governed by where we were going. Our, our, my wee stops were governed by where the bus stops were, actually. Um, so um, I, I obviously used the pads then. And um, a couple of times, I we, we go to the bush fairly regularly, or we try to, going to the various game parks in the country. And uh, I've taken them with me then because there, you're out in the bush sometimes, you... You might need you might need protection or might need uh, the security of having uh, uh, pads. So I take them, but I don't wear them unless I absolutely think it's necessary. I just don't, you know. I just don't think it's don't feel, you know. It's it's not it's not it's not an embarrassment. I mean, I'm too old to be embarrassed by things like that. But it's just that um, I don't feel, you know. If 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 I really need it, I'll wear one. But I don't normally not not anymore. I guess in the national parks, going for a pee behind the bush is not a great idea if there are lions about. No, absolutely not. They're not impressed by you. <laughs> yeah, and if they're not impressed, they take action, don't they? Absolutely. Then they'll, then you'll really wet yourself. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, so, the, yeah, the bus trip around Italy. I mean, it's hard to imagine a more uh, challenging scenario than somebody with an overactive bladder recovering from an opponent from an operation being stuck on a bus in Italy. That's that's really quite tough. Yeah, and but but I managed to I managed to deal with it for most of the time. Once or twice I had to impose on the driver to use the in the in bus toilet. But I mean, you know, they obviously don't like that too much because they've got to clean the things out afterwards. But um, I think I think once or twice during that week I had to go use do that. But the rest of the time, I managed to control it, you know. Well, that indicates quite a tough mentality, I think. You're one of life's copers, I suspect. Well, yeah, you know, when you, you do, you do cope. You, you know, you make the most of where you are with stuff. It's, it's, you know, and as I said earlier, it's, it's common sense, Marcus. You know, you know that you're going to be going on a long trip. Go to the loo before you get on the bus or go to the loo before you get on the, in the car to drive wherever, you know. And, uh, well, it's... It's really encouraging, isn't it? Because whilst you do have your symptoms, you remain an interesting person with interesting things to do and you can still do them. Absolutely. You know, and people mustn't allow it to sort of kind of take over your life. You know, that's not, it's not, it's not, uh, it's a, it's a situation, it's a physical condition that one has, but you have to get your head around it and just live with it. You know, it's not something that's going to go away. It's going to be something that you have to control. And if you get your mental status to such a, a, a situation where you control that, it doesn't control you. You have to do it that way. It's not always easy, but it's the way to go, you know. So, so Barry, it really seems like you're, you've got a strong character, quite a stoical personality, and very important as well, of course, that many people have these symptoms but are still working. I mean, do you think that gives us any sort of uh, message on how to deal with the situation where you're still to be working? Marcus, the same as I deal with it now. I work for myself, so I'm not as if I'm retired and reading a book 24 hours a day. I wish I was. But, uh, the, 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 you know, the point is that even if you are younger and you're working, accept, you know, don't try and hide it. Just, you don't go and blab it around the office, but, I mean, you know where you are if you're working in an environment that you know. Do exactly the same thing that I do. Find out where the loos are. Make sure you're okay. And if you need to, 
if you're about to go into a meeting, go to the loo first, you know, and, and among your colleagues, if you have colleagues that are, take them into your confidence and say, just in this, if I get a, if I have to leave the office in a hurry, this is why, please don't, please don't uh, um, dock my pay, you know, but uh, it's, it's, as I said earlier, common sense, deal with it, you know, don't hide it because I don't blab it around. I mean, you don't have to publicize it to the shout it from the rooftops, but, um, I, you know, I think accept the situation, get medication if you need it, get, con get, a, get a good urologist to help you and accept their advice. And, and even if you're a younger person, I'm sure younger people get the similar problems that, that I've had, uh, maybe not, not, not age-related, but very possibly could have something similar, and they must, you know, get, get, get their doctors to tell them what to do, listen to what the doctors or the urologists say, accept it, and, and, and make the most of it. You know, don't hide away. There's no point. Life's too short. So I guess that if you've got the letter from the doctor or from the urologist, it's a good demonstration that you can show to your manager, because really it's going to be your manager that will decide to an extent how easy it's going to be to adapt to your symptoms. Because in some workplaces, there isn't the same flexibility that you've experienced. Very possibly, yeah. But then, you know, if you have the situation, you've got to, you have to tell your employer what the situation is and why, you know, I would say. You know. Again, it depends on the circ work circumstances. Some people might not, people say, right, that's fine, they go, you know, that's, I fully understand. To sort out what you have to do, and we accept it, and and others might not. But I, I think that talking about it to the people that you're working with is important, making sure that those close to you who can help you accept it. And we have to hope that increasingly our managers and employers will be enlightened to understand the importance and the variability that people experience with their, with their waterworks and the symptoms. Well, you never know. Some of the employers might well be having the same problems. That's an interesting point, actually, isn't it? Yeah, because it's a highly prevalent situation, and uh, you know, it, it it might be an idea to select it somebody that's at work and is worried about speaking to a manager about their symptoms. It might be wise to just look out and see which managers tend to go to the toilet a lot. <laughs> yeah, link to the loo. <laughs> then you'll get a more sympathetic ear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just. Don't hide it. You know, it's it's never been a problem. I've, I've never felt that I have to hide it. I mean, I don't, as I said, I don't shout it from the rooftops. But, you know, it's a situation you have, deal with it, you know. Well, Barry, it's been fantastic talking to you. It's, it's really nice to just get a human touch and, uh, you know, a, a stoical attitude and a practical experience and some canny advice. So really have enjoyed talking to you. It's a pleasure. I'm more than happy to help out, to help you guys with any any other experience that I can give you, you know. Thank you for listening to the You and I podcast. And today it was a great pleasure to talk to Barry Snow. He had such an interesting insight and a, a very positive attitude. And I think this has been a tremendous episode. It concludes the You and I podcast series. So we've had some very interesting encounters. And I think it's been a great privilege to meet many of these people. So it's been a pleasure to participate in the series. And we would be very grateful if you could share this podcast series with anyone who you feel might benefit from it.